Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Shining a New Light on the Contraceptive Patch, was presented during Omnia Education's Women's Health 2021, beyond the annual visit. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to Omnia Education's Women's Health 2021, beyond the annual visit. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Dr. Brooke Fott. In this presentation, we will be taking a closer look at contraceptive choices for women, more specifically the contraceptive patch. So let's get into it. These are our educational learning objectives. First, I will identify information that will overcome the most common misperceptions that clinicians may hold regarding contraceptive patches and other non-LARC methods. Second, I will explain the advantages and drawbacks of contraceptive patches and other hormonal non-LARC methods. Last, I will identify counseling strategies for engaging patients in a shared decision-making discussion regarding sexual health and contraception. During this discussion, we will uh, review the evolution and history of the contraceptive patch and other combined hormonal non-LARC methods. Uh, we'll also discuss what is the PEARL index and why does it continue to creep upwards uh, regarding real-world contraceptive usage? What are some of the advantages and drawbacks of contraceptive patches and other combined hormonal non-LARC methods? And we'll review some counseling strategies for engaging patients in shared decision-making discussion regarding sexual health and contraception in order to bring patients full circle into the conversation so that uh, you work as a team to determine the best course of action for contraceptive options. So now let's talk about contraception and the evolution and history of contraception. We have so many contraceptive options nowadays, which is so fantastic because our patients are not all the same. Our patients come in different sizes and backgrounds and needs and goals when it comes to their contraceptive needs. And so when deciding upon what the best course of action is for choosing a contraceptive option, we really have to take into consideration all of those factors. And it requires the involvement of the patient, of course, in determining which, uh, which option is going to be best. When we're talking about the evolution of modern contraception, really this all began in the 60s. The birth control pill, for instance, first was developed in the 60s along with the plastic and copper IUDs, followed by postpartum laparoscopic sterilization and non-scalpel vasectomy in the 70s, as well as biphasic and triphasic pills in the 80s. And then in the 90s, Depo-Provera and the Prevent and Plan B emergency contraceptive pills. In the 2000s, we started to see a plethora of options come in the market, which has just kind of snowballed the current day with hysteroscopic sterilization, the Marina IUD, OrthoEvra patch, NuvaRing, Implanon in, the, in 2010 and moving forward, Nexplanon, Skyla, Kylina, Liletta. And then more recently, we've had a huge amount of options that have come on the market, including Torola patch. Anavera Ring, Nextellus, and Fexi. And so again, we are very lucky in this modern day and age to have these options for our patients to meet the needs of our unique patients and their concerns. With regard to transdermal hormonal contraception, more specifically, 
The first patch on the market was OrthoEvra back in 2002, followed by its generic option, which was Zulane, which is still on the market, followed by Twirla, which came on the market in 2020. And we'll talk a little bit more in detail about these options. So OrthoEvra and Zulane are very similar. Obviously, as I mentioned, Zulane is the generic alternative to OrthoEvra, and OrthoEvra is no longer available on the market. But you'll see here that both OrthoEvra and Zulane have the same type and amount of estrogen and progestin. So you see 35 micrograms of ethanol estradiol and 150 micrograms of norolgestrimin. Whereas Twirla, the most recent patch on the market, has 30 micrograms of ethanol estradiol, so a bit less, um, although the same type of estrogen, and a different type of progestin, levonogestrel, at 120 micrograms. So the current two patches available, we have the Twirla patch and Zulane. Uh, you see the size and the shape does vary between the patches. And then the usage is pretty similar. So the patches is changed weekly and then left off on that fourth week to allow for menstrual flow. Contraindications include women with a BMI of over greater than or equal to 30. So this is important to consider in patients and understanding their weight and BMI. Now we're going to move into measuring contraceptive efficacy and more specifically the PEARL index. So if you're not familiar with the PEARL index, the definition is the number of unintended pregnancies in 100 woman years of exposure. So if you think about this, obviously we want this number to be low. For a woman who does not want to get pregnant, we want the number of unintended pregnancies to remain at a low level in, uh, in a contraceptive product. So if you look at research moving forward, we see that over the years, the Pearl Index or that number of um, unintended pregnancies seems to be increasing. And the question is, is it really that contraceptive options are not quite as, as efficacious or are there other options and, or are there other explanations? And we think that more than likely there's other explanations, specifically uh, we're we're testing more frequently, so more frequent pregnancy testing with more sensitive tests. We have much more um, uh, effective testing options available and more availability. So women are capable of purchasing pregnancy tests at the local store. Um, there's availability at their local walk-in centers, at their GYN, um, and also less adherent study populations. So we're we're looking into a more broad patient population in the study populations. And so we're not just looking at the patients that are going to adhere very, very strictly to uh, the contraceptive approach. We're looking at real world patients that may uh, forget to take their pill or forget to apply their patch or whatnot as a typical woman. And then also there's an, a creeping BMI in the United States. And so that seems to be impacting con hormonal contraceptive efficacy, including the transdermal approach, which we'll talk about here. So specifically with BMI, as you can see here, we're simply looking at the, the time period between 1994 up until 2014. You can see here the percentage of U.S. women classified as obese in 1994 was only 25% moving up to 36% in 2010, and then 40% in 2014. So this is a radical difference over the years. And this is a very strong potential for that creeping pearl index and reduced contraceptive efficacy when we're talking about hormonal contraceptive agents. 
In 2019, the Food and Drug Administration released a draft guidance to help guide pharmaceutical companies on establishing effectiveness and safety for hormonal drug products intended to prevent pregnancy. So essentially, their goal was to improve efficacy, improve safety, and just improve the quality of research in this realm. So the most recent patch clinical trial that was done for specifically Twirla implemented the following criteria that was per the FDA guidance. So for instance, no enrollment restrictions occurred on weight or BMI. So women of all weights, all BMIs were included. There was actually a very large population of women that were classified as obese, especially compared to past research. It included women over the age of 35 years old to assess safety in that population. The research also anticipated regular sexual activity at least once per month. And when that did not occur, the data was excluded from the final outcome. Individuals completed an e-diary and captured backup contraception and sexual activity. There was regular pregnancy testing at home as well as in the clinic. And so all of the factors or all of the components of this draft guidance were included in the most recent research for this patch, which is really encouraging and really exciting as we continue to watch our patient population become more diverse and their needs begin to change over the years. Some of the pros and cons of combined hormonal contraceptives, and we're going to talk more specifically about non-LARC options. Let's, let's get into the advantages. So the advantages of oral contraceptives specifically, uh, they're easy to use, they're easy to dose, and they're discreet. You can hide them in your purse, in your pocket. Uh, there's many options available on the market. Some people look at this as a disadvantage because it's difficult to pick one when there's hundreds of options available. Uh, there's a variety of estrogens and progestins within these various oral contraceptives. Um, the cost uh, varies widely, but there are lots of generics available. And so for uh, patients on a budget, this oftentimes is a great approach. We have lots of long-term safety and efficacy data for oral contraceptives. And the newest combined oral contraceptive contains a new form of estrogen. Um, the newest uh, progesterone-only pill has more serologic stability and less potential side effects, uh, according to their side effect profile. Uh, so we have newer agents in this realm as well. Some of the disadvantages of oral contraceptive agents are daily dosing. Some women have a difficult time remembering to take a pill every single day, and this can impact serologic levels. So we see fluctuating pharmacokinetics where there's peaks and valleys of the uh, serologic levels, and this can lead to decreased potential efficacy. Uh, also, uh, changing uh, side effects like breast tenderness, nausea, migraines, and headaches we tend to see when uh, individuals are not taking oral contraceptives consistently. And then uh, with combined oral contraceptives, we can also see an impact on sex hormone binding globulin. So what this is, is a protein that's derived from the liver and in and of itself is not overly concerning. However, it does bind to testosterone molecules and can render them useless, essentially reducing bioavailable testosterone. So in sex medicine, we tend to see women that report loss of sex drive, um, sometimes vaginal dryness, diminished arousal, lubrication, that sort of thing. Uh, so that's something that I, I see quite a bit in patients that are on combined oral contraceptive agents. 
uh, for women on progesterone only pills, uh, there's an increased potential for breakthrough bleeding compared to the combined options and potential decreased efficacy compared to the uh, combined options. Some of the advantages of vaginal rings include avoidance of daily dosing. So you don't have to remember to take a pill every single day or, or um, utilize a product every single day. The individual can manage the ring on their own at home. They don't have to come in for a procedure to have it placed. The newest ring on the market contains a progestin that's derived from progesterone. And the most recent ring on the market does last a full year. So one prescription will last a full year. Some of the disadvantages of vaginal rings include uh, the requirement for vaginal insertion and removal. And I know some of my patients are uncomfortable with um, inserting something vaginally. They don't even use tampons. They don't admit to masturbation. And so this may not be the best approach for those patients. It's also not the most discreet approach for patients that partake in penetrative partnered play, uh, or I should specify sex play, uh, because the ring is obviously present inside the vaginal canal. So for a patient that wants to maintain discretion with their contraception, uh, the ring obviously being inside the vaginal canal during sexual activity may... Um, uh, may not be the, the best option for the, the patient, again, that is trying to maintain discretion. And uh, the ring may also potentially increase the potential for vaginal discharge, infection, and or irritation. Some of the advantages of the transdermal contraceptive options are that uh, it's a weekly change versus daily dosing again. So for patients that have a difficult time remembering to take a daily pill, this is a great option. And it's uh, also self-managed, so patients can remove and apply the patch on their own without having to come into the office for a procedure. It's a continuous absorption, again, so avoidance of those peaks and troughs of serum hormone levels, more steady pharmacokinetics. Uh, there's, with this, there is reduced potential for some of the side effects that we see, including breast tenderness, nausea, and headache that are associated with some of the um, uh, daily products. Some additional advantages of transdermal contraception include um, the fact that the most recent patch on the market has a lower estrogen exposure. So again, I mentioned that the most recent patch has 30 micrograms of ethanol estradiol compared to uh, the older option, which had 35 micrograms of ethanol estradiol. And the steady state concentration for this patch was 14% lower than the 35 microgram ethanol estradiol oral contraceptive pill. The most recent patch on the market has safety, efficacy, and tolerability data in a very inclusive and diverse population. When you look at the data on this product, they included not just a diverse patient population, including BMI, but also from ethnicity and, and other uh, background factors. So this was consistent with the FDA draft guidance for hormonal contraceptive studies. Uh, the patients in the the studies for this particular product are more representative of what we see in our clinics. Some of the disadvantages of transdermal contraception um, for patients that are more sensitive, potential for localized skin irritation. So I always ask my patients if they're sensitive to band-aids or uh, medical tape. It's not ideal for patients with uh, frequent water exp exposure. So if you have any Olympians that are uh, swimmers, this might not be the right option for them. Also, the cost of name brand products. If you have a patient that um, 
may need a generic option. Uh, you know, there is a generic patch option, but if um, if they if you're looking at one of the brand name options, it may be a bit pricier. And then reduced efficacy and increased risk of venous thromboembolic events with increasing BMI. So we, as I mentioned, the patch is contraindicated in women with a BMI of greater than or equal to 30. And we do know that there's also reduced efficacy when BMI uh, increases above 25, so between 25 and 30. So use caution and um, use your clinical judgment in patients with a BMI of over 25. And then unlike the patch, there is limited data on the vaginal ring in obese women. So we do have data to say that, um, to know that, that an increase in BMI uh, reduces efficacy with the patch and also increases potential for VTEs. However, we assume the same with the ring, but we have very, very limited data on that. Some additional disadvantages, it does not protect against STIs. Um, again, external visibility. So this is not discreet. It certainly can be hidden with uh, clothing. So it's not inside the vagina during sexual activity, um, but, uh, but definitely visible, especially like in a bathing suit or during showering. And uh, at this point, all the patches only come in one flesh tone color. So for women with darker skin tones, this may not be the best option. Regarding patient counseling, how do we begin the conversation about transdermal contraception? When discussing this with our patients, some of the contraceptive goals that not just you have for your patient, but also what are their contraceptive goals? Um, so for instance, how long do they want to prevent pregnancy? Do they ever want to consider pregnancy? Um, how would they feel if they were to find out that they were pregnant? I ask that to my patients often, you know, uh, and I always have to preface, I always say, just so you know, you're not pregnant, but, um, you know, how are you, how would you feel if you found out you were pregnant? And if they say, yeah, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I may not be as concerned about a less effective option. Um, but if they say this is really important for me to not get pregnant, then we're going to really take into consideration efficacy. Also, uh, sexual transmitted infection prevention. You know, if you have a patient that may have multiple partners or high risk partners, uh, you have to consider that and using barrier protection with or without hormonal contraception. And then menstrual regulation. Some patients may have uh, a condition such as PCOS or heavy painful periods, and they may need regulation of their cycle in addition to contraception. Uh, additionally, the need to know about partners, not just current partners, but past partners. Even if you have a patient that may currently be in a uh, same-sex relationship that may identify uh, as lesbian, they may in the future have a male partner. So it's still important to have a, a conversation about uh, contraception and the options available. And then, as I mentioned, future family planning. So, uh, you know, even though you're working on preventing pregnancy at this point, at what point do you plan to uh, pursue pregnancy or do you have a plan for that? Um, and some patients will say, you know, I really don't have any interest in ever becoming pregnant and that's fine. So you might want to look at a more long-term option in those patients. And then what is their experience with contraception? Maybe they've had a bad experience or even experience in the sense of conversations they've had with friends and family that can be really powerful. I have lots of patients that, uh, come in with a preconceived notion that oftentimes is erroneous, uh, regarding a contraceptive approach. And so we have to debunk those theories first before we dive into, uh, some of the safety and efficacy data that is, uh, truthful.
In addition, um, you know, just trying to make sure that patients are comfortable with the options that you're discussing. So again, you know, if a patient is just really timid, really uncomfortable with, you know, uh, inserting something inside their vagina, they don't use tampons, they don't uh, admit to masturbation, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe a ring isn't the best option. Or, uh, you know, I have a patient that really just has a really difficult time swallowing pills. And so uh, oral contraception just is not a good approach for her. And then uh, patients that are hypersensitive, maybe a patch isn't the best approach for that patient. Uh, regarding cost, you know, what type of insurance do they have? What are their, uh, what, what type of uh, cost limitation are we dealing with? And so I'll ask patients, what is reasonable for a monthly cost for your contraception? And then hormonal versus non-hormonal. Some patients, you know, you go through the whole entire conversation about options and then they admit to you, I don't want anything with hormones. Or uh, again, they might have some preconceived notion that, that may not be entirely truthful about the use of hormones. And so you have to have a conversation about what that looks like, where they got this information, what this means to them. Um, and explaining the pros and cons of hormonal versus non-hormonal options. And then just understanding more about your patient and their individual and personal lifestyle. So do they travel? What are their physical activities? Um, what type of partners do they have? Do they need to be more discreet? Um, I have patients that are, are conservationists. So they are really concerned about um, disposable, you know, paper and packaging and that sort of thing. And so uh, just really understanding what their, their full goals are for contraception in order to meet their needs and also to enhance their potential compliance with the regimen. I put this up here. I'm not going to read through the FDA class label warning for hormonal contraceptives, but I think it's important for us as healthcare providers to read this and really understand what our patients see. You know, here in the United States, combined hormonal contraceptives we have a class label warning. So basically all of the contraceptive options that we prescribe for our patients that include combined hormonal contraceptives are going to have a variation of the same warning as you see here. For the patch specifically, or for transdermal contraception, the most important thing is that this particular product is contraindicated in women who are over 35 years of age and smoke, and also women with a BMI of greater than or equal to 30 due to decreased efficacy, but also the potential increased risk of venous thromboembolic events. You want to make sure again, that you really are well-versed in this because patients read these warnings and really get concerned, sometimes really get freaked out. And so it's important to bring this down and normalize the warning and explain where this comes from. So patients don't go home and think that you're giving them something that's going to cause them serious harm. Explain the data behind this, the risks, the pros, the cons, just like you would with any medication. And that way it will prevent that 4 p.m. Friday afternoon phone call where they say, I don't know why you gave this to me. This product has this horrible warning. I want something else. And they don't understand that everything else has the exact same warning, but it's class label warnings compared to individualized warnings. When identifying the proper patient for the contraceptive patch, uh, first of all, you want to make sure that women are of, of reproductive potential that desire contraception. If they are a smoker, you want to make sure that they are under the age of 35. You also want to ensure that their BMI is under 30 and ideally under 25. You want to ensure that they do not have cardiovascular or venous thromboembolic risk factors, that they are capable of applying and managing patch changes on their own, 
and they do not have frequent or prolonged water exposure. So again, patients that are swimmers or uh, submerged underwater for long periods of time, like scuba divers may not be the right approach for them. Some of the talking points uh, when you're prescribing a transdermal contraceptive agent, you want to talk about where to place the patch. First of all, uh, you can apply it to the abdomen, the arm, or the buttock. And it's really just based on patient preference, what their ideal is. And again, it, it relates to uh, discretion. You know, do they want to make sure that this is not seen or is it, are they more concerned about, um, you know, the friction during with their clothing uh, or their activities? And so I, I tell patients if they want to know that the best adhesion in the clinical trials was on the abdomen, but the best absorption was on the buttock. However, all three areas are perfectly acceptable. So whatever works for them is perfectly fine. And they can certainly rotate with each patch placement. Uh, ideally, they want to apply the patch to clean dry skin the same way they would if they were applying a Band-Aid or other medical tape. Additionally, after any type of water exposure, the patch should be checked to make sure that it is still adhered. Um, in the clinical trials the with the newest patch, it had a 95% patch adherence at one year. Uh, so that was really impressive. And if there is full detachment, that old patch should be replaced with a new patch as quickly as possible. The patch should be changed weekly with a patch-free week on the fourth week, and that's when we would expect menstrual uh, flow. And then continuous usage is considered off-label. Uh, however, uh, many healthcare providers use a lot of these products off-label and in a continuous fashion. But again, that is off-label. It was not researched as a continuous usage. Some of my final thoughts on hormonal contraception include the fact that we have so many contraceptive options to meet the needs of our diverse patients. Um, and some of the research that we're starting to see in this realm is inclusive of those diverse patients following that FDA draft guidance. Thank you for joining me for this presentation on contraceptive choices for women with a closer look at contraceptive patches. Goodbye. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Omnia Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Omnia. Thank you for listening.